0: This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. Today we're starting our new series. And uh, although it's supposed to be to Dave, um, I'm sure that he's got lots to share with us in the coming weeks and months. It's going to be inspiring and Useful not just to listen to this morning, but also on the podcast as well. And we're talking about the traits of the greats. And I don't think I'm going to say anything new today, but perhaps some of what you hear is just going to, again, help stir up your heart to think, you know what? If God can do it with Gideon that we're talking on today, then he can do the same with us. And so we're going to have a look at, I guess over the next few weeks, um, some of the great leaders and great characters in the Bible. And the most encouraging thing that I found when I'm reading the Word of God and looking at the lives of leaders and characters in the Bible is that apart from Jesus, every single one of them was flawed. (laughs) Now that gives me encouragement because... I think, well, if God can use flawed people, he can use me too. Uh, maybe you can think the same. Uh, I know my weaknesses. I know uh, my imperfections. And yet God somehow still seems to find a way to use me. So let's be encouraged this morning as we look at these characters. They are flawed people. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I find also the Bible is very honest about people's failings and people's weaknesses, you know, and and that's good because it's authentic and it means it's not a myth or a fable. If it was a myth or a fable, you'd never have that mentioned in the stories. Um, But because it's true and authentic, we see people as they were uh, with all their warts and all, as he used to say. Uh, And I find that's interesting now, one of the characters in the scriptures um, that I'd like to look at today is Gideon. And Gideon, we find his story in Judges 6 to Judges 8. And we're not going to go through the whole story today because you can, you probably already know the story, but you can also go through it yourselves in your own time, perhaps a little bit later on. But Gideon, now he was also known as Jeroboam, and I don't know about you, but I love to see when archaeologists discover things, you know, which back up the Bible. And it's it's not that I don't already believe, but it's great to have that evidence, isn't it, uh, that comes up, and it's coming up all the time. They're always finding discoveries. And what we find, in fact, most recently, archaeologists in southern Israel, they discovered a 3,100-year-old jug fragment with five ink letters which says the name Jirabal, which was the name for Gideon. It um, was the other name, for Gideon. And it wasn't a common name, so there is a very good chance that that inscription on that jug was actually concerning Gideon in our Bibles, which is fantastic. And the story that we find, it appears between the time when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan and entered the promised land and they took Jericho, they took Ai. Uh, it's, It's that period between then and the kings when judges ruled the land. And we find that Gideon was one of those judges. He didn't want to be one, but he was one, and we're just going to dip into his story today to see how God used this ordinary person in order to bring about some incredible things, including the defeat of the enemies who had invaded the land of Israel. And when the angel appeared to him, you'll remember the story as he was uh, trying to thresh wheat in a winepress, Uh, It's not recommended because when you're threshing, you're supposed to be there where the wind catches it on a hill somewhere, not down in a winepress in the ground. But he was doing that um, in order to save the crops from being stolen by the enemies. And as the angel came, he greeted him which in a quite unusual way. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And there's this guy who's hiding out from the enemy in the winepress, being greeted by the Lord as mighty warrior. And I wondered sometime. I wonder if that was sarcastic. You know, was the angel just being sarcastic? Uh, but you don't find sarcasm in the Bible. It's not known, it's not a, a trait in the Bible. And this was for real, because actually when you look at the name of Gideon, Gideon means destroyer. So it was almost like the angel was saying, look, you may be hiding out in a wine press, but guess what? Your name is destroyer. You are a mighty warrior. And I want to just, just say to you all this morning uh, and those listening to this podcast, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. What matters is what God sees in you. Because when he sees you, he sees your potential. And he saw the potential in Gideon. And he knew he could rise, raise him up to be uh, one who would be a conqueror, one who would be a great leader. So let's have a look at uh, Gideon. There's two things that we see are natural about him. One of them is that he's naturally fearful. Naturally fearful. How do we know this? We've already mentioned he's hiding from the enemy. So he is fearful, perhaps of them just stealing his goods, but he is fearful. And then when the second thing is that when God tells him to go down and tear down the altar of Baal, He does it at night because he doesn't want anyone to see him. So obviously, he's fearful in that respect as well. And then the third time we sort of see the fear is when he sees the angel consume the sacrifice, um, it then says, the angel said to him, peace, do not be afraid. The angel wouldn't have said that to him if he didn't look afraid. I mean, I'd be afraid, wouldn't you? I'd be terrified if that happened. but So we see he's naturally fearful, not a naturally bold man. And that's okay, because in 1 Corinthians 1.27, as we know, um, we're told, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God uses people who are naturally fearful and He can therefore, if you're naturally fearful, he can use you. He's also naturally unqualified. He said to the angel, how can I save Israel? Because he was from the weakest clan and he was the weakest in his family. And he admitted that. You know, I think the honesty there was great. He actually said, you know what? Why pick me? I am the useless one, the most useless in the whole of this area. So I'm not going to be able to deliver Israel from the enemy. And I think if you feel naturally unqualified, guess what? The chances are God is going to use you or you're ready to be used. Because I think if we feel that we're qualified, if we feel we're capable, if we feel that we're, you know, we've done this before, we can do it again, God won't use you. He wants to ensure that he uses people that he can fill with his power, with his wisdom and with everything that they need in order to go and achieve great things so that God receives all the glory. We think of great men and women uh, of God, those in the past and those present. We think of Smith Wigglesworth. You all know his story. It's just a plumber in Bradford, uneducated, didn't even finish school. And yet, when you read his story, how he was a healing evangelist, he went around the country and into Europe and other places, and he'd preached the gospel, and hundreds if not thousands of people were healed of every sickness and disease. And there were even reports of many who were raised to life from the dead. A plumber, uneducated. He felt unqualified, but he had the power of God in his life. I think of Jackie Pullinger. Have any of you heard her speak? Oh, wow. I mean, that lady, she was qualified in the oboe. She qualified from the, uh, the London Royal College of Music specialising in the oboe. And then she got on a, a ship and went off to Hong Kong. And you know the story. Hundreds, again, if not thousands of addicts had their addictions broken through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she has seen so many hundreds and thousands come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So I think the important fact to know here, naturally, he was not a leader. He was fearful. He was unqualified. But God used him. He can do the same with us. Amen? I think that the turning point that I find in this story for Gideon is actually chapter 6, verse 34, where we read this then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. That was the turning point. The Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. And as that happened, he was equipped, he was filled with boldness and ability to be able to go out and be the person he never imagined he could be, but it was was what God had always intended him to become. So let's have a look at his traits this morning as a leader. Firstly... Having been naturally fearful, he's now evidencing boldness. So he went up and he began to blow a trumpet. Now you've got to have some courage to do that. If people are all, if you think you're the weakest in your clan, and the other people are seeing you as that, what is this guy doing, blowing a trumpet and gathering the troops? So he's evidencing boldness, which was not natural, but it had to be seen in order that people would come and gather around him so he could form the army. No one questioned him. If you read the story, nobody questioned, who made you our leader? Nobody said that. They just gathered. So he must have had such a charisma about him, such a boldness that was evident that people thought, you know what, this is the one I want to follow. This is the one I want to lead us. Um, As Paul writes in Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we're going to ask you to do something. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you ability and boldness to be able to take steps of faith and to see things achieved. And what we need in our country right now is spirit-filled, bold leaders who rally the troops, who, who gather the congregation and say, look, God is able through you to change this whole country. God is able through every born-again believer to to reach this nation with the gospel if we are prepared to be bold for Christ. Amen? Not easy in our society, but that's what God is expecting. And I must say, if, if I didn't have the boldness of the Holy Spirit, I would be Jonah. I would be running for the nearest boat, <laughs> getting on it and going to some sunny climb where I could relax in a hammock and not have any stress because I would be naturally fearful of even doing this this morning. It's only through the equipping of the Holy Spirit that we can have that boldness. The second trait we find, and this is important, obedience and faith. We see in verse 2 and verse Four, um, of chapter 7 by reducing the number of his soldiers from 32,000 down to 300 <laughs> we see that either a step of total foolishness or a step of faith God told him to do it so he did it he didn't question God he just did it. Now remember, we read later in chapter 8 verse 10 that there was 135,000 enemy soldiers. So even if they'd had the 32,000 that they originally had, it would still be four against one. So they'd still be outnumbered. But now let's just make it 450 to one. Let's go down to 300 troops. And yet, Gideon never questioned God on it. How many times do we question God? How many times do you say, why? How many times do you say, Lord, why me? Why didn't you do this? Well, what about this? Gideon didn't do that. He said, you want down to 300? We'll go down to 300, Lord, because you're in charge. And you're going to win this battle for us. And I think that's how we need to look at our lives and the challenges that we face We need to exercise obedience and faith and say, God, whatever you do, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to do it without question. Because when has God ever failed us? Never. We sing, you're faithful. Then let's start living like God was faithful. Amen? Let's start believing this. So verse 9, God told Gideon to attack. But he said, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, and listen to what they're saying, and afterward you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he did, and that wasn't lack of faith, because God said, look, if you want to check this out, go and check this out. I'm not going to criticize you for this, I'm not going to punish you for this, you know, it's not going to be detrimental to you, go and check it out. And so he did, in obedience, he went and he checked it out, and he came back, he thought, yep, We can do this. I feel encouraged in my faith. We can do this. Nothing wrong in assessing a situation. Nothing wrong in assessing something before we do it. And it's a matter of just being obedient when God asks us to do it. We can remember the importance of obedience when we think of another story, and that's the story of King Saul. And you do remember how King Saul (laughs) so-called sacrificed animals when he... Uh, to, to the Lord and he kept a whole load of goods and all the rest of it and he should have destroyed them all and Samuel came to him and he said this he said does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord in other words we can sacrifice our time and our effort and serve God and be in church every Sunday and, and be serving the coffees and the teas or taking part in hospitality or welcome. We can do this and we can be here uh, you know, every time at the engine room, we can be at the Bible studies. But if we're not being obedient to God, it doesn't mean anything. We have to be first obedient to God. And then we do everything that we've just said. It's obedience to God that's most important in our lives. The third trait that we see in Gideon is humility. And in chapter 6, verse 12, when he's greeted by the angel, he replies. Well, when when, when the angel says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, note he says, with you, mighty warrior. And then he says, if the Lord is with us, So he wouldn't even accept the fact the Lord was with him. He was saying, so if the Lord is with us, he completely missed it. He didn't see that God was saying, I'm with you, Gideon, I'm with you. And he's not even seeing that. How could God possibly be with me? You know, He's not even contemplating this is possible. And then in chapter 8, verse 22, the Israelites asked Gideon to rule over them. And in verse 23, this is what he says, he's a humble man, he's just won a great victory and he's now the most recognised figure in Israel, most poignant in that current history and he says, the Lord will rule over you. He refuses to be made king, which is really what they're, I'm sure, saying. I want you to lead us, I want you to be the one who's going to be our king. And although he was the judge, and rightly so, for 40 years, he refused to take the credit. He said, the Lord will rule over you. That's how humble he was. Now, the fourth trait that we see is that he double-checked before acting. And that is not a weakness, that is a strength, because often mistakes can be avoided if only we check things before first jumping in. And there's a narrow margin between faith and foolishness. Um, Gideon checked it was the angel of the Lord talking to him by preparing the offering and we can see what happened, how that was consumed before his eyes. And that's not a bad thing. Just because an angel visits you, it doesn't mean it's a holy angel. Okay. Now, you may never get a visit from an angel. What I'm saying is this, that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:14, 14, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So check things out uh, before you think, well, that must be God. Check it out. Get verification. Get validation. Get, get some confirmation from the scriptures or from, from other people that you know who can speak into your life prophetically. So he he checked it out. Uh, Verse 36, Gideon puts out a fleece. Some people say that's a weakness. It wasn't a weakness. This guy was coming from nothing. He was the weakest in his clan and the weakest in his family. And he was being asked now to lead an army to vanquish the invading armies. And he's saying, well, could you just give me a confirmation, Lord? Nothing wrong in that. It wasn't a weakness. It's actually a strength. You're not testing God. You're just testing what God has said to you, and that's the difference. And then, of course, in chapter seven, verse 10, we've read that he spied out the enemy camp before he attacked it. We didn't even have to attack it, as we know. They just surrounded the hill. They just blew horns, and they smashed their jars, and there was lights, and it put the camp into confusion, and they all started killing each other and then running uh, for their life, which sounds like a great plan. He never had to really fight, but he did pursue them, of course, and they did fight them on the, on the pursuit. So double-checking before acting. Is it a good idea, or is it a God idea? I've had some good ideas, which weren't God ideas, and guess what happens? They failed. <laughs> they, they didn't bring forth fruit, we have to check if it's a God idea, it will bring forth fruit. It will be successful because God has said it, he will do it. And he'll want us to be... Isn't that amazing? That God's plan, he wants to involve us in order to bring about his plan. That's incredible. In our weaknesses and everything else, he chooses us. Okay, the fifth trait that we see in Gideon is that he was a team builder. We see that in verse 27. He took 10 servants to help him demolish the altar of Baal. In verse 34, he gathered 32,000 men to fight. He didn't just, like David, go with a slingshot and try and do it himself. Nothing wrong in that. That was for that time. But in verse 15, after spying out the camp, he said to the 300 men, get up. It's time for us to fight. So it was all about team. And leaders cannot do it alone. I've learned that the hard way. We have to be team builders. We have to do it as a team. And I know um, Ernie spoke on Nehemiah, um, uh, I think when we were first coming, and it was a brilliant word, by the way, absolutely brilliant. And Nehemiah built a team, He'd gone around, he'd seen the walls that needed to be repaired in Jerusalem. And then he gathered the people, said, look, this is the situation. He set it out, but he said, you know, we can do this stuff together. And, And as you know, they said, well, let us start rebuilding. So he envisioned them, but he needed to build faith. He needed to build focus into them. And he had his team. And likewise in church. We can't do church without all working together. And we'll be in different things, but we all need to work together in order to bring all that together to make it work. And it's so important. No one person in church is more important than another. We are all important because we're all playing our part in bringing about God's will for church growth. Now, I used to teach on team building when I was in business, and uh, it's a whole other subject. So I'm not going to really get into that today, except to give you some key pointers. If you're in ministry and you're needing to build a team, these are the kind of things that you need to be highlighting. First of all, you need to set the vision. What is the purpose of the team? What are you hoping to achieve? The second thing, you need to set out the ground rules and expectations. What are the people within your team, what are they expected to do? And what are the rules, what are, what's the framework in which they're going to be working. The third thing, you need to equip and resource them. You know, they, they, you can't expect people uh, if in your team, your ministry team, to bring their own resources. You need to resource them and if they need training, to train them. The fourth thing is to diversify their skill sets because not everybody is skilled in everything. So, Ask them, what's your experience? What do you like doing? What's your heart? You know, what's your area that when you're talking, often I speak to people, you know, and talking about performing arts before, you know, when does your heart start to beat a bit faster? You know, when I start talking about performing arts, it's like, it starts to, yeah, 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 I love that, I love that, I love that. You could talk for hours on it. And you can find that from your team and begin to, to place people in places where they have an interest. It's no good putting somebody in a place where they have absolutely no interest. You know, if, if you put me in, um, in the crash, okay? Now, I love my grandson, Ari. I'm really enjoying this week spending the time with him. But looking after a whole load of little toddlers, it doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. It just doesn't really excite me or thrill me. I love to see the toddlers and I love people looking after them, but it's not my gifting, and so you look within your team, what's the skill sets, what's the giftings? And then the fifth thing, facilitate opportunities to build relationships. You know, if you're bringing a load of people together, what I found certainly in the workplace and in the church as well, is that have social times where they can actually get to know each other. It's not, we're just, we're going to go team, we're going to build this wall today, you know, this section of this wall in Jerusalem. Have, have opportunities for them to have a chat share life experiences, time to pray for each other, you know, and all these kind of things. Build relationships in the team. And then, um, I've lost which point this is, is to support and encourage. You can't just give someone a task to do and say, right, tell me when you're done. You need to support them all the way and encourage them all the way. And we saw that with Nehemiah, how he encouraged the workers. And I'm sure Gideon was the same with his troops, exactly the same. And then the next point, which is often missed, communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> so I remember somebody telling me when I was giving a lecture in banking is that you start off by telling them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you've told them. And and I often use that because... If, you, if people don't, they don't always hear the first time or the second. That might be the third time they get it. So communicate, communicate, communicate all the way through when you're, when you're working with team. And then finally, well not finally actually, second to last, show appreciation for them. You know, there's nothing wrong in saying thank you. In fact, thank you can mean a lot. And especially in church life when you've got volunteers, I've always found it was good for me to... Just say thank you now and again. It's day all the time because then it becomes, it doesn't really mean it. But, you know, saying thank you for people who are putting great efforts into doing things. And even though it's a word, two words, thank you, it means a lot and can really help your team. And then finally, which is, I'm going to treat as a separate point in your team building, leading by example. Now, Gideon said to his 300 soldiers in Chapter seven, verse 17, "'Watch me,' he told them. "'Follow my lead. "'When I get to the edge of the camp, "'do exactly as I do. "'Good leaders lead by example.'" And that's what we see a great trait here in Gideon. He wasn't expecting them to go up there and do what he told them to do. He said, "'Follow me and copy what I'm doing.'" And that's where we see often um, organizations and churches growing because the leaders are exemplifying what the rest of the people in the business or the congregation should be doing because you've got to also walk the talk as they say it's no good just saying it and he did that and in chapter 8 verse 4 Gideon leads his troops all the way to the Jordan and it says even though he and all his 300 men were exhausted He crosses the Jordan. They follow him. And as a result, he finished the job. And we're going to bring that uh, as a separate point. Lead by example. You may be exhausted, but you keep on leading until the task is complete. And you know what? People will follow. However tired they feel, if they see you doing it, they will follow you. And they will support you and help you. Uh, Then number seven, very, very important. He faced faced and dealt with criticism. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, they challenged him vigorously. This wasn't his troops. This was some other people. Challenged him vigorously. There's a bit of a Barney going on. Is that a word you use up here? A little bit of an argument. A little bit of criticism going on. And if you are obeying God, (laughs) let me tell you, you will face criticism. It is almost... It is. It's inevitable. People are going to have an opinion. It might be a very strong opinion, so much so it's going to be critical of what you are doing. If you are obeying God, you will be opposed. Jesus was opposed. Guess what? You will be opposed if you're doing what God's asking you to do. It should not be a surprise. And sadly, if it's concerning church life, the opposition will mostly come from within, not from without Unless the church is in unity. And then Satan says, I can't use anyone because they love each other too much. So I'll have to use someone outside. And you know what? (laughs) There's a lot of love in this church. And I'm loving the love, okay? And I think that's why Satan's trying to stop us parking across the road. That's why he's trying to bring external opposition. Because he can't do it inside. Because we all love each other too much. Amen. But you will face opposition. Even happened in the early church. Jesus even warned about it in Matthew 7.15. He said, beware of false prophets. They'll come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves, but by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then, of course, in Acts 20, Paul talks to the Ephesian elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. As a pastor, pastoring many different churches Sadly, I've had people come in opposition to me uh, for no apparent reason. There's been no substance to it. So you know it is an enemy attack. And it's a matter of not uh, not hoping that the, the opposition won't come, it will, but it's knowing how to deal with it when it comes. And all I can say is grace, grace, grace. Grace wins every time. And it does. Of course, you have to oppose something which is, which is straight from Satan. But when it comes to people that just are critical because they don't understand, they haven't quite heard right, they've got the wrong end of the stick, grace, grace, grace. Explain. Ask God for wisdom. And what we find with Gideon is that he, he took the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and he spoke into their situation and then it says in verse 3 of chapter 8, at this their resentment against him subsided. What we want in church is peace and unity. So when there are things that flare up, and there will be, what we need to understand is, let's just talk about this. Come on we're all adults, we're all believers, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, let's just talk this through. And then at the end of it, we might have to agree to differ, but we do that with grace, don't we? We do it with grace. Conflict management is a huge subject, but Gideon kept his cool, kept his heart right, drew on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and brought about a good resolution. That's all I have to say today. I hope it's helpful. We see with Gideon the great traits. First of all, he wasn't naturally qualified. He wasn't naturally bold. But through the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he became bold, obedient. He showed humility. He always checked before he acted just to validate what was being said. He was a team builder. He led by example, And he dealt with criticism well and resolved conflict. Amen. Hope that's been helpful. And for those listening to the podcast, again, I hope that is helpful to you. Any questions that you have, listen to the podcast, just get in contact with Home Church and we'll be happy to to help you out. So God bless you and thank you for listening. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.